Welcome to episode 23 of Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. I'm Jeff Brownson. And I'm Derek Dye. And together we're drinking our way through this amazing world one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Fabio Garcia, the head brewer and one of the owners of Dynasty Brewing in Loudoun County, Virginia. Fabio has a long history of brewing in the D.C. area, and we're excited to talk with him about how things have changed over the years, what he's currently doing with Dynasty, and maybe even a little bit about his travels and favorite beer spots. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything we have coming down the line. We've mentioned this briefly a couple of times before, but we are very excited to announce that this episode is our first sponsored episode here at Miles and Pints. Don't worry, though, it won't change the show that you love so much. For any sponsored episodes going forward, we'll simply be including a quick mention of the sponsor in our opening and closing, and a short ad right before the interview. Of course, we will also make sure that there are links to our sponsors in the show notes so you can support the businesses and destinations who choose to work with us. And now, after a quick word from our sponsor, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Fabio Garcia. This episode is brought to you by Visit Loudoun, the tourism office for the Loco Ale Trail. With 35 breweries and counting, Loudoun County is one of the most vibrant craft beer destinations in the U.S., Visit Loudoun invites you to hit the Loco Ale Trail, which connects the urban breweries of Sterling and Ashburn in the east to everything from bespoke taprooms in historic towns to farm breweries with stunning Blue Ridge Mountain views out west. Grab your Ale Trail passport to collect stamps, win prizes, and say cheers in Loudoun beer country. For more, check out visitloudoun.org. All right, today we're here and excited to be at Dynasty Brewing Company in Ashburn, Virginia. As always, I have Derek along with me. How are we doing today, Derek? I'm good, Jeff. Happy uh, you're back from your spring break vacation on a road trip with barbecue and beer. Yes, and I I snuck in a quick uh, overnight in West Virginia there, too, after I got back from that. So it's it's been a big travel week for me. but enough about that. Let's talk about our interview today, which is with a guy who has been in the brewing scene in Loudoun County for quite a while. And he is certainly doing something right because we've tasted a couple of beers so far and they are really good. And that is Fabio Garcia, the head brewer and co-owner here at Dynasty. Welcome to the show, Fabio. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing well, especially now that you've given us some of these beers. Yeah, good. Yeah, thanks for coming over. It's been great. Thank you. Uh, the beers we tried thus far have been excellent. Good. Um, yeah, glad you guys are here. Uh, it'll be fun to have a conversation what's going on in Loudoun County and what you guys have been up to. So looking forward to it. Yes, and we'll get right into it, I guess. We've already uh, sung the praises of the beers that we're drinking, but let's uh, start out with what it is we are drinking as we start this podcast. And you guys have been feeding us a couple of beers already, so I think by the time we get to the end, we're not going to be drinking the same beers. But what we're getting started with, Derek, why don't you start out? Jeff, believe it or not, I'm currently drinking a double IPA. 
shock all of our listeners. I'm drinking the Cosmic Vision Hazy Double IPA. It's excellent. Hazy, as the name would suggest, classic uh, New England-style double IPA, uh, light and juicy and absolutely delicious. And I don't, I'm not sure that's believable, Derek. I don't know if anyone's going to believe you're drinking an IPA. It's so unlike you. I but, know. But I figured I, I would branch out and try something different today, right? <laughs> Maybe we'll have to put the, the video on that so people can see how <laughs> hazy and delicious it looks. And I have, uh, I don't even know the name of this because I was only sort of paying attention. I was setting up equipment and I heard mention of a stout. So I thought I should probably try that because it's the exact opposite of the Pilsner, which is what I tried first. So, Fabio, you'll have to tell us what it is that I'm drinking this uh, stout. I'm drinking our Irish stout, you know, released uh, earlier in, uh, in March, right? So it's uh, Irish stout, it's uh, 838 uh, Irish stout. It's a little sweeter than your most uh, typical, you know, uh, Irish dry stouts. You know, it's not like a, necessarily a Guinness, a little fuller body. But it's in that style. It's uh, 4.5%. Yeah, it's good and creamy, and like you said, it is a it is a little bit sweeter than a, a typical dry Irish stout. But I could definitely drink a few of these and relax, and especially with the weather getting warmer and have a nice uh, a nice day outside. Even though it's not quite summer yet, it's still yeah, stout I mean, weather, I, right? I think those beers that they're full flavored but still low alcohol, right? So you know, under five percent, uh, but it tastes bigger than it is. That's kind of like the, kind of going for that style. Just, uh, Tastes like an imperial stout, but it's four four and a half percent or so. So, yeah, I think you succeeded with that. There's a, a ton of flavor in there, and a, like you said, a ton of mouthfeel or or almost a thickness to the beer, which is what I really like in a stout. And what is it that you're drinking? The, the a brand release, new beer, yeah, right? Yeah, just transferred today. That's before you guys came over. I was uh, getting some work done in the brewery, and then uh, we uh, transferred uh, our newest, you know, spring seasonal. I guess is we're trying to get into the seasonal part of brewing we've been kind of making things up as we go along the last few years but uh, this is our spring seasonal it's our uh, imperial pilsner it's called sunrider it's almost like a maybach in the sense it's a seven half percent has a little sweet sweetness to it but lots of hops so we decided to call it a pilsner you know, so and that's what you guys started us out with. Really, as soon as we walked in the door here, your your business partner, Travis, was like, what do you want to drink? Let me get you the Pilsner and poured us a couple of beers. So from the moment we walked in the door, we've been drinking beers here. So it, it's going to be a fun show, I think. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we're excited about it. We, we, this is a, we like this kind, these kinds of beers. Like That's kind of like it's, it's off style in many ways, right? It's like uh, it doesn't fit into any style. I, mean, I don't know what it's. Imperial Pilsner is a necessarily a style, but it's pretty much in my mind is like a Maybach, you know, hopped it up. So it's uh, yeah, it kind of makes things up. And then uh, you know, Travis and I, uh, you guys met him earlier. Um, uh, lots of energy, and then we just trying to trying to figure out what to do next. It's like, hey, I want to do this, you know, kind of do traditional lager beer f- for spring. And he's like, wow, you know, how about this hop? You know, I really like Liberty. We haven't used Liberty. Like, oh yeah, that's a good hop. It's like let's use that one. So we kind of uh, created a recipe just through ideas, and then um, um, but it came out the way we wanted. Actually, it's kind of kind of fits both of our styles. But. And as you described to Jeff and I when we first uh, started tasting it, it's a I believe a double dry hop pilsner. Yeah, I've never really heard of that style before. Is that something you created, or is that something that's known in the brewer world? Well, double dry hopped. The I mean the double dry hop pilsner. I've never had that variety of. of uh, yeah, that's a good. 
uh, you know, people have been dry hopping pilsners, you know, in the, in the American craft beer world at least. And then uh, certainly dry hop pilsners in the past, then it's certainly traditional for Germany or the Czech Republic. But yeah, it's been, we dry hop everything, you know, so it's, um, we got a very, I've got a routine of double dry hopping. I don't know, yeah, kind of, we emphasize that part of it just because it is a little bit different, I guess, in that sense. Well, well, I can certainly say not only is it delicious, but it is also not your typical Pilsner. Uh, it has uh, a lot of complexity. It's very creamy and refreshing. I would never believe it's seven plus percent alcohol, and it's it's much more complex than your typical Pilsner. Sure, I mean that's kind of yeah. So that's not like that. No, the imperial part of it, but bump it up a little bit. We did have a Pilsner on tap. It just it, we ran out, so unfortunately I can't serve you guys that. It's or typical Pilsner in a sense, but it's also double dry hop. But uh, yeah, we just ran out. It just it was actually one of our fastest selling beers we had in the while. Um, you know, things have been. A little bit slow in the wintertime with COVID, you know, can't get a lot of people indoors. So, but that last batch of Pilsner sold incredibly well. So we kind of, well, I'm glad we got to try this one because it is delicious. It reminds me the, I guess the aftertaste, the bitterness that you get from the hops there reminds me a lot of the Czech Pilsners I had a year, I guess, two years ago now uh, when I was over for Pilsner Fest and in Prague and it's just delicious and some people hate it but I'm not one of them I love it so that's a that's a fantastic beer for me I did worry when you guys said it was what 7.2 or 7.1 percent I was like oh wait no that's sneaky that's not that's not something I would have guessed trying that beer so we'll have to be careful with that one but uh, again could drink a whole bunch of those so far very impressed with the beers here at uh, at Dynasty but let's get into a little bit of you as a brewer and your history in this area and your background. We're going to go way, way back. Yeah. When you when you grew up, were you a, a little kid sitting there playing in the mud and the grass and thinking, I want to be a brewer? Or did you do something before brewing? Yeah, well, as a kid, I certainly didn't think about beer very much. And I didn't even come from a, a beer-drinking family necessarily. You know, the, the, my parents are not... Necessarily, like, into hanging around drinking beer and, and very much. So, I got introduced to the craft beer in the in the early to mid '90s. I got out of college. It's like one of those guys that didn't. I think it happened more in the '90s than it does now. But it's not. I got out of university. I really had no idea what I was going to do. Like zero. And I and as and what you did then, you just got a job at a bar or a restaurant, and that's what I did. I got a job at a bar and. Yeah, and you kind of hope you figure it out. I'm going to job interviews and figure it out that I really hate putting on a tie. So I was like, <laughs> this is not going to, I don't know, you know, like you're just going through this, this thing going. And the, this place I was working at, um, well, it was a brew pub. The, the guys at the brewery were just having a lot of fun, right? I was kind of doing kitchen work. I was working in the kitchen. And then um, that had nothing to do with anything I studied at school. And at one point, the, the bar manager's like, hey, uh, you know, we really need a kitchen manager. Do you want to be the kitchen manager? He's like, no, I don't want to be the kitchen manager, but I'll do it if I, when the next time a brewery job opens up, I, I, you know, I get a chance at it. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good because so, we need somebody to order the nachos or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I became the kitchen manager, and that kind of led me to uh, working in the brewery and then the, loved the brewery side of things. It was just exactly what I thought a job should be. It's like, creative right you get you know you gotta 
it's a, it's a blend of science and art, and I'm sure you talk to many brewers that feel the same way. It's like you know, and then people like me, you got to keep moving. It's kind of working with your hands, you're kind of creating something, talking to people. Um, so it's I love the job. It was, and then uh, one job led to the next, and it became a career. I never really thought uh, that you know this is way before brewing was really a career. It just kind of kind of developed. This is you know mid '90s, so it's kind of. And what was that degree in that you completely neglected oh, yeah, as soon was, as you got out of college? Well, I had to go back to school. That's kind of the thing. It's like you get out of school and then they're like, oh, let's, you know, with your degree, you should go get your graduate or study something else. I'm like, I can't do that again. <laughs> so it's just not, uh, I end up, my mom's from Brazil, so I spoke Portuguese and I ended up getting a degree in Portuguese, which is like getting a degree in English or something. Like <laughs> I read a lot of books, but then like, you know, it doesn't really really prepare you for anything and yeah life. you can teach it or you can you can get a job in international business if you're here international in the US stuff that was the, so you have to get some advanced degree of some sort like oh you can do translation you go translation okay but that's another two or three years of school like i wasn't going to do that i was just not it sounds to me like brewing beer is a lot more fun than any of those options but maybe i'm biased yeah i think that's you know i mean i think i i had certainly had fun in my career that's for sure that's not no doubt about it but that's not so when did you really make that jump to a full-time job in the brewing side of it? Well, it's kind of like that's when, how I ended up in Loudoun County. I worked a couple of different brew pubs, one in Arlington with the, the first job I had. And then, um, and then I got me a job in Richmond. I was working in Richmond for f- quite a few years. And then um, I thought, oh, that's the end. You know, have fun brewing, find something else to do. And, but I had a friend working at Old Dominion Brewing Company that was here in Ashburn. So I came to visit thinking, I'm going to leave Richmond. I got to find some other job. It's like, oh, we're hiring. Come over here. And uh, that's why I ended up in, working in Loudoun County. It was just the uh, biggest brewery in the area was at, uh, here in Ashburn. And it became a real career at that point because it was a bigger company and they, they had good pay, benefits. And you can actually like, survive as a, as, a, as a brewer as opposed to... You know, in the 90s, there was a brew pub world, right? So you're kind of like a restaurant worker in many ways. You're like a, you weren't, you weren't the chef necessarily because the chef's always more important. So you're always like kind of like a sous chef of some sort. And like basically in the brew pub world as, a, as the brewer, it's okay. But, you know, Dominion became like, oh, this is actually a career. These guys, you know, some of these guys went to school and they had advanced degrees. And it's like, learn a lot, you know. As, as we sit here and... 2021 thinking back you know 20 plus years ago it's really hard to imagine how far the craft beer scene has come and it sounds like your experience was you were you were kind of on the front end of that where as you say the the brewer the craft brewer wasn't really looked up at these brew pubs like the like the head chef was no not at, no not at all uh, it was yeah. The chef was always more important because the food's more important because you go to it's a it's a restaurant really. And the like the, the novelty part of it was the brewing side of it. And hey, we can make our own beers over here, you know. And, and most people don't really care. It's changed a lot. It changed in many ways. Just the laws changed. It kind of helps smaller breweries, right? That allows that to break away from the restaurant part of it. That kind of happened in the. Um, 2012 here in Virginia and it happened earlier in the West Coast but um, those those things changed that and the consumers changed it all I think it's, you know things like you guys are doing like travel shows and and where things come from those TV shows like that that kind of 
people want to ask those questions. I've been doing brewery tours for a long time, and I noticed that change. At some point, they do these brewery tours, and everybody's like, oh, that's neat, you know. And like, where's that grain come from? It's like, wow, that's kind of, like, nobody ever asked that question before. Well, like, all of a sudden, after 10 years or so of brewing, that somebody started asking, like, where's that grain come from? Where's those hops come from? It's like people learned how to learn things. Yeah. <laughs> they ask questions, and you can find out more information about this. And nobody did that before because they were just at a restaurant and maybe taking a walk through the brew pub when you got started, right? Oh, uh, yeah. The brew side is all, but eh, it's the brewing equipment. It looks good. It's shiny. You know, and then, uh, oh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to walk you guys around uh, before we sat down. I mean, probably take a break at some point and walk you guys around and kind of see the, our brewing equipment. We do actually, our brewing equipment, it gets... It's, uh, it came from a brew pub in Seattle, so it's a classic 90s brew pub setup where we just kind of refed it for a production brewery of sorts. But uh, That's kind of cool. How do you end up with a, a brew system from Seattle? Is there an online marketplace for this? Did you buy it on eBay? Did you know someone there? Yeah, there's an online marketplace for that. And all those things are true, like you said. Like, yeah, I knew somebody there in, in some ways. Like, it's a, it came from a rock bottom. The rock bottoms were all over the place at one point. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, they started closing them down. It's like one of those things, they've been in the industry enough and like, hey, that's an interesting equipment you guys have for sale. And you kind of reach out to the, some of the rock bottom people and they're like, oh, yeah, talk to this guy, talk to that guy. And then they kind of just. And where did the, the desire to have this? and not quite vintage, but older equipment come from? Was it a, a cost thing or was it a, you were comfortable brewing on it or it can do some things that modern equipment can't and get some character to the beer or was it just a convenience factor? It was more, I wanted to buy US made equipment. When we're looking for equipment, I got quotes from everywhere, you know, just brand new US equipment. Most of the equipment, uh, at least stainless steel is made in overseas in China great deals like um, unbelievable price wise but some of the engineering is like always a little bit off so you get the equipment in you get then you get a, somebody else to come in and kind of like tweak it the way you want it so when when this equipment came up for sale I was like oh this is i know the company that made it it's a good year for it it's like a vintage car like like, so like yeah you knew it was a quality system and quality the, system. all the pressure welds were going to be proper and the dials were going to go the right way and the valves were going to open as they should and all that kind of thing just as you would on like a 1970 charger or something right. like it's, that i can work with this yeah it's not the it, i'm not going to win the indy 500 with a 73 charger or something but it's like it's it, it works very well and then i can make this thing run and yeah, that's what they say about cars. Like they, the older cars, if something went wrong, you knew what it was and you could fix it. And newer cars, you have to have some sort of computer that will tell you what the error code is and then you can go in and fix it. So maybe kind of the same on the brewing system. Like you know what it's doing and you know why it's doing it. And it's easier than having some sort of foreign system that you may have to have a specialty person come in and work on if you have a problem with it. Well, there's definitely the, the uh, there's the, in the, uh, this is all this kind of stuff I picked up when I started working at Old Dominion is that there's more to the brewing side of things than just uh, making beer in a sense, right? So Dominion has a bigger system. And the, there's people we need to train. There's protocols, right? There's SOPs. Before, I was working at a small brew pub, just to me and, some, and another guy and kind of make things up as you go along. And I'm kind of doing that now here. But uh, when you work in a bigger brew house, uh, you know, just 10 or 12 guys you work with, 
And at the point, it was all guys, right? And then that's another change that's happened in the craft beer world. You got more women working. That's great. I mean, I can't believe that took so long, but it's kind of like one of those things. Like before, it was just all guys. You know? And then uh, they had these systems, protocols, and then uh, engineering part of it. And that was always kind of cool. Like, you know, like when you have repeatability, you make the same thing over and over again. And how do you clean it? You know, like the, the distance between the the, the valve and the pipe, your CIP liquid, your cleaning in place liquid, it can move around and clean, make sure all the valves are totally clean. That's kind of cool stuff that that that's going sort to of come and play with a small brewery like we have now. But when you're trying to build a bigger brewery, that's kind of, you know. Yeah, as you have, I mean, you have these procedures. You here at Dynasty, you may know how to do that, but there aren't 10 other people that have to do that. And if there were 10 other people who had to do that and you didn't have a procedure in place, they would do it in 10 different ways. I really thought that was going to be like the, the way, you know, when I was working at Dominion and then uh, I met uh, my future business partner, uh, Matt Hagerman, and we opened up Lost Rhino. It's really the, the, the thought that we had was that we were going that direction. We we're going up a, a big regional brewery, right? And we we're kind of thinking about all those things. It was, because we're brewers, right? We're brewers, or thinking about. You think big. You want it to be. Yeah, you think like manufacturing-wise, and then you know, and, and, and when when we open up, and the reality is, it's it becomes more of a bar and then the restaurant, and then you have to deal with all those those things at a bar and restaurants. But that's what people, you know, people come into a bar and restaurant to have a good time, and people, especially come into a brewery to have a good time, right? Because it's usually open spaces and. You can find a corner, kind of create your own little space, and that's that's what I liked about brewing. Starting out with, you know, like the first brewery I worked at, the Bardo in, in Arlington was big open space, and the same reason, like you just get a couple of pints and you sit in the corner with your buddy, and you can kind of create your own little space. And sometimes it could be a bigger group, and you make, you know, you, you find you make friends because it's a communal thing. And you said. Sorry, what was the first place you worked oh, in Arlington? Bardo Rodeo. But is that related to Bardo Brewing now? That's down on the yeah, waterfront yeah, there. The, the re-arc, yeah, they just uh, yeah. That's, that's uh, our friend Mark Osterman's favorite brewery he's ever been to because he thinks it looks like something straight out of Mad Max. And it is. He, he well, walk it, in and like there's a car on a dumpster. And so when you said that, I was like, oh, Mark is going to be so excited when he listens to oh, this no. episode. So that's, that's, that was my introduction to the craft beer. It wasn't called craft beer at that point. It was all microbreweries and. But that was my introduction. I remember very well sitting in, uh, it was the, it was a uh, car dealership, right? Uh, in Arlington, Virginia. And at that point, there was car dealerships all over the place. Uh, so the, the front room, you know, the, the showroom was a glass windows. There was a car through the windows. That was the jukebox. It was a Plymouth Fury, the Sound of the Fury. Uh, That's cool. It was great. It was fantastic. So, as a 24-year-old out of college, and me and my buddy was like went in there, like this place is kind of cool. It's kind of neat, and you know, order a pitcher of uh, Chinook Pale Ale, and we were like, oh my god, this is like the most bitterest beer we ever drank in our <laughs> lives. We like we were not into it at all. You know, it wasn't Miller Light or it Bud Light. Miller or... Light. It was like, oh, I don't know, man. I was like, ah. Oh. And we consider ourselves like craft beer people at that point. I mean, like, you know, beer people at that point. Like, we had traveled to England, and he's, he's from Australia. And we're like, wow, this is, this is really bitter. 
yeah but you were there the next week you know i mean like you're like oh well you know we keep coming back and eventually i got a job there like maybe that's not so bad that bitter (laughs) it's kind of nice when i think when people first taste people who are new to craft beer first taste uh a very hoppy ipa they're always like oh why would you drink that and then we've got Derek here who is like, oh, it's double, triple, dry hop, quadruple IPA with 16 tons of hops in it. Yes, give me that, please. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, it kind of grows on you. And my wife has said that with many beers. She's just starting to get back into craft beer at this point, a lot with the, the stouts and beers that are, are darker and have a lot of flavor in that way. But she still will drink a beer. Like, she'll taste anything that I'm having. She'll be like, oh, that tastes like beer. Or, oh, that's awful. Why would you drink that? And I think it's, I mean, it's a, I don't know if it's something you have to get used to or as much as you want to get used to it, because it's kind of like that thing that you keep going back to. We had a comment today, and I don't know if Derek saw it or not, but somebody uh, on Twitter said that he had our theme song, the, the Miles and Pines theme song, stuck in his head. And he said he finds the podcast very informative but he can't honestly say that he likes the theme song, but it's like an 80s song and it's stuck in his head. And I was like, that's fantastic. And I almost think it's the same way with some of these craft beer flavors, because if you had it and you just had it once, you'd be like, no, that's not the flavor I want. But once you have a pint of it, you're like, well, maybe that is the flavor I want. Maybe the, And maybe, just maybe, he does like that song. Uh, you never know. You never know. And I, <clears throat> to our listener, I find myself humming it or you know, getting annoyed because it's in my head at random times throughout the day and the week. I will say to your point, though, Jeff, and I think we could discuss this all day from a philosophical standpoint, but we don't have time to do that. I oftentimes say that when people tell me that they do not like craft beer, they're probably not drinking the right thing because the flavors and the, you know, the, the hop profiles or the lack of hop profile, just malt taste, it's all over the spectrum. So almost everyone out there, maybe everyone out there, they can find something in the quote-unquote craft beer world that pleases their palate. If they haven't found something they don't like, if they haven't found something they like and they say, I don't like craft beer, they're not trying the right things, right? Is that right, Fabio? I agree. I mean, the story... Jeff made me think of my wife as, uh, you know, always, you know, bring samples from home, you know, work samples. Like, hey, try this, try that. For 20-some years, whatever, we've been married and we've been working in the brewery industry. It's like, oh, it tastes like Bardo. She just kind of just puts it down, you know, like, oh, it tastes like Bardo. Which is, to her, I guess to me, it's like a, just a hoppy pale ale of some sort. Yeah, I always just get, it tastes like beer. Yeah. And and I'm then, like, well, uh, that's the point. It's yeah. supposed to taste like beer, but um, do you taste this or do you so, taste this? Here at Dynasty, we started making these newer style IPAs, you know, the hazy IPAs, and she's all into it. And then, you know, the fact that she's looking in the fridge, like, you got any more of that cosmic vision in there somewhere? Where's that mosaic? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think we have a little can here somewhere. Yeah, to your point, I think there is, at this point, I think there's something for everyone. I think we can, you know, like, um, that's the cool thing about the, the IPA changing styles is that, this new IPA kind of just opens up so many people because it doesn't have that super bitter taste that we had in the past. Like the, you get the juices and the fruity flavors, and then you get into the ones with the lactose added, and you get almost like a milkshake of flavor. And it's it's crazy the spectrum from a like a 
a Pacific Northwest IPA to a lactose with six fruit flavors IPA. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's, there's a ton of different flavor profiles there. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think I still prefer a drier IPA, you know, that's still like, because I'm, again, you know, old school in some ways, but it's like, I do appreciate the fact that people really dig like the sweeter IPA. It's just like fantastic. It just opens up like it's a whole new group of people that, that can drink these beers that, you know, kind of. I was in Morgantown, West Virginia, and I went to Mountain State Brewing Company because it was it was a terrible sacrifice, and I put it on social media. But we, my wife and I went with my son, who has been accepted to one of the schools, is West Virginia University. So he wanted to go and do a tour because we hadn't visited yet. And because of the reduced tours and the COVID protocols, only one parent was supposed to go on the tour. So I was like, well, I guess you can go because my wife really wanted to go. And I went to a brewery and sat for the afternoon for the whatever three and a half hours that the tour was. But they had four of their beers on tap and then they had eight other local beers on tap. And of course, I tried all of them in tiny little mugs. But the their ipa it didn't say too much about it it was just like ipa and then it came out and it was kind of almost an amber color and i was like "Ooh, this is gonna be like an old school ipa and i drank it and the same thing you were just saying i was excited i was like "Ooh, (laughs) this tastes like pine trees and this tastes like no we just we just uh just brewed like a west coast ipa i'm really excited I absolutely love the old school style. I mean, I, I love the hazies and, you know, now you have the milkshake IPAs and all this stuff, whatever. But I love a good old school. It's hard to believe I'm calling it old school, but an old school West Coast IPA, right? Well, just the, Tiny, hoppy, all those flavors. The, oh, the hazy stuff just dominated the last few years. You know, we're talking about this before we turn on the mics, but it's just kind of interesting how it went from very small to everywhere. Um, all at once it just like it just took off you know like it's it's yeah it just kind of became its own style it was first you had IPAs and then people started seeing what was happening up in New England and they were like "Ooh, New England IPAs and then they realized that they weren't making them quite the same way so then it just became hazy IPAs and then it just it took off in so many directions from there and they're they're great I kind of qualify them now if someone has it as New England IPA on their menu, I'll qualify it as uh, a New England IPA, not from New England, because it's not quite the same. And I think that's part of, I, I have been to a couple of breweries that are conditioning the water to match what they have up in Vermont. And it's, I mean, it gets much closer, but it's just when you're brewing in different areas of the country, you can't copy the style exactly unless you're doing something like that. That's fair. Yeah. But there are, it, it's just overwhelmed the market in craft beer for so long to the point where you get breweries like other half, which is up in Brooklyn and now has a location in DC where like they have 12 beers on tap in DC and 11 of them were hazy IPAs, which has taken it to a ridiculous level. But I mean, did we get all all of those and taste them and taste the different hops against different hops? Absolutely. We did. (laughs) They're pretty spectacular. I mean, they're, they're, um, the other half beers are really good. Um, Yeah. It's It's great that they're in here in DC and the brewer circle, we kind of, you know, people just rotate, exchange beers, come by each other's, you know, breweries and rotate beers out. And like, uh, I'm getting some, some uh, other half here and there. It's like, man, this stuff is really good. It's like just, yeah, different than what we're doing. And, but 
Uh, yeah, it's when you taste 10 or 11 different hazy IPAs in a row, you're kind of nitpicking and you're like, well, I like this one better than this one. But what you forget is the one that you vote like least of those 10 is still better than a ton of the hazy IPAs out there if you're having it from other half. Still world class, right? I mean, even if it's your yeah, it's, tenth of it's 10, really it's good. Still world class. It's really good. It's yeah. It's you know, it's frustrating for a small brewery like those guys. You know, the big brewery comes in. That stuff is really good, though. It's like oh, it's so good. You know, like it's it's crazy good. Yeah, you don't want the competition, but you do want the beer. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's get back to uh, your brewing out here in Loudoun County. You said you came up. You you met someone, and you guys launched Lost Rhino. I was at Old Dominion, and Old Dominion uh, got bought out. And then, you know, the original owner, Jerry, he's a great dude, but, you know, he, did, he was done. And then uh, so he sold his company, and it was a combination of Fordham and Anheuser-Busch that bought out Old Dominion. So th- there was a bit of, like, tension, you know, in the air because it's Anheuser-Busch. A lot of people left. I stayed because uh, I was working these for me, it was great because I was working like these 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. shifts. So I didn't see anybody. It's more my style, like kind of like minimal, just do your thing do and my not thing. have to do anything. And then they kind of miss a lot of the drama. And then all of a sudden, you know, like company, different owners, uh, everybody had left like that, that new stuff. And I became in charge. It was great. Uh, I was ready for it. You know, I already ran a small brewery of our place in, in uh, in Richmond, I was a, the head brewer in Richmond at, at Richbrow, and then I'd gone to some brewing school. I was very much ready to to to, uh, to have a more of a manager role, and then uh, so it was great for a couple of years, and then uh, they end up selling the whole complex, the whole brewing system, and because I was the brewery manager, I was able to put a bid in for the brew house, the the kettle, and then it was like a five six piece system. So they were selling the place and selling everything, and, and you said, "Fine, I'll go, but I'm going to take my brew house with me." Pretty much, it's like, like hey, we need somebody to stick around. Very, very much like my deal I worked out with Bardo, like make, like, hey, can you make nachos for a year? I was like, yeah, sure, as soon as I can get a job brewing. And it's the same kind of thing. It was like, hey, can you uh, stick around for the the last bit of it? I was like, sure. Can I put in a bid for the uh, the brew house? They're like, yeah, okay, that sounds. Sure, stick around to the end, and you can put a bid in for the brew house. And then, uh, so look, uh, Matt, my buddy, was working at, 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 he was at Dominion, and he took off and worked at somebody else. But he was working on a business plan. I was like, hey, I can get this brew house. And uh, so that's he, he came up with the money, and then we were able to purchase the brew house, and we opened Lost Rhino. So it's kind of a, we moved the, you know the brew house a few miles down the road and opened another brewery and when did that transition happen when did you launch lost rhino it was uh 2011 so dominion closed in uh, 2009 and we opened uh 2011 and at that point we put a a kitchen in because the laws were not you couldn't serve directly to the customer right you needed a kitchen it had to be a brew pub essentially and that law changed in 2012 in virginia so the first year we were open at Lost Rhino, the first few months, at least, we were, uh, you had to like basically buy a tour so we can give you tickets so you can drink a beer, right? So I gave a lot of brewery tours, like a lot, you know what I mean? Because people come in like, oh, I'll get a brewery tour. Here's my 
10 tickets. I'm like, all right, let me show you around real quick. You know, like, you know, right? And then they come back and drink a couple of beers. But you didn't take them around 10 times so around the brewery if they wanted more beers? I, I, I did a lot of brewery tours. It was filled like, <laughs> it was like, I, I, was, I was there a lot for every Saturday for, you know, it was like a regular thing. But uh, it's fun. You meet new people and uh, kind of, you know, uh, we established a connection that made before at El Dominion with Travis, my current business partner. And that's kind of, you know, we became friends that way. And he would give me a hard time for the beers I was brewing at Lost Rhino because it just, because he would travel a lot and, and he would go to all different breweries around the country. And it's like, hey, these guys are making this great IPA. You got to try this. And then, you know, at first he would just hand me beers and eventually I would just go hang, hang out on his back porch and drink beers that way. And yeah, it kind of opened up to new styles because when you're working all the time as a brewer, you kind of like, sometimes you kind of close up a little bit. You don't get to to move around and try new stuff, right? You just thought, I got to make the same beer over and over again. You just get what's right there at your brewery and you get maybe a couple of the local breweries because you don't have time to go out and do other stuff. You got to make the beer for the people who are right, coming in. Like, yeah, they're not traveling around, right? You know, I mean, you travel for like the craft beer conference here and there. Once, So it was a great introduction to... to so he, that's Travis introduced you to the hazy IPAs world for sure. And you know, that was kind of, uh, so uh, obviously Lost Rhino's still doing great, doing their thing. I left there the five years ago, trying to figure out what to do next, trying to find a new thing to do and uh, worked at Beltway for a few years and then, um, well, like a year and a half. And then uh, Travis comes back around and like, hey, uh, me and my buddy Pat are gonna open a brewery. I need, I need a brewery. Do you know anybody? And then I was like, well, I know I'll kind of like figure out what I'm going to do next. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So uh, it's sort of like the Dick Cheney thing, right? You kind of like, you get hired to, to find a brewer, you know, and then this place, you, you know, I, I got, I got hired to find a brewer and I ended up being the brewer, you know, because we just got along. You found yourself. Yeah. Success. Yeah, you did get, your job very well. Right. Um, Hopefully you got a headhunter fee for finding that uh, person, right? Well, uh, yeah. It was, a, it's a good, it was, it was good. I mean, like, Things align, right? You know, we want to try new stuff, and there's a, there's a, we kind of settled here for a couple different styles. Like we have make lagers, hazy IPAs, and stouts. Right? It's kind of like, kind of like, kind of like excluded all the amber beers. You know, it's kind of like kind of. Uh, <laughs> Nothing in those mid-color ranges. Not, not just, much. No, just light and dark. Yeah, pretty much. And I'm okay with that, except for maybe like. October time frame, yeah, right? like you know Oktoberfest or a Maybach. Oh yeah, that's that's the only beer that we make. We make an Oktoberfest. There yeah. you go. See, I'm okay. I'm okay. Eliminate all the other amber beers. There is a, a sour on the menu too, though I believe on tap right oh, yeah. now. That's a whole different story. That's like a, <laughs> so you know we took it on this lease, it's six thousand square feet. Uh, it's lots of space, and a buddy of mine, Alex, who met along the our brewing world, he worked with me at some point. It's like, oh, I want to start a blendery, which he makes sour beer. He base, basically, his idea is to buy wort from different breweries. So the wort's unfermented sugar water you create from the malt. He buys that wort from different breweries and ferments it, and it ages it in wine barrels with different fruits. That's his, basically his plan. So he's. I need to start doing this. You know, I'm gonna. It's Mieza Blendery. It's the name of his place. So Alex was like, I need a place to start. I need. To, I need some product so I can show investors and others that I can make this stuff. It's like, oh yeah, it sounds good. And we have tons of space at that 
you know, three years ago. It sounds good. Uh, once you start, so you once you start here, and then when you find a place, you move out. So he's he's getting you know next year or so he'll move out. But right now we got tons of sour beers and barrels uh, against our wall. We got a, I saw all the stacks of barrels back there. I'm, I'm actually facing the barrels, and I was like, are they doing a ton of barrel aged beers, or what's going on here? So yeah, that so explains it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a ton of uh, barrel aged sour beers. So it's basically a, a blonde like a Saison style beer going into barrels, which he blends into um, fruit and other yeast and bacteria and creates his own style. Yeah, so yeah. it's worth a try. Surely we had the, on top, we have a ceramic nose, the piranha flavor is cherries. So it's like a tart cherry, dark red. It's great. Yeah. That sounds like it's right up my alley. I will definitely try some of that next. Yeah. Uh, he's a de- definitely interesting guy to talk to. He gets very much in the weeds of, uh, I love talking to him, but uh, the details of every batch and every barrel, because every bar- barrel has a character, and he can tell you about it, every single one of them. That's really cool. It's, it's neat that you have enough space that you could allow him to kind of launch that from here, and it'll be exciting to see what happens with that as time goes on. Okay, everyone, thanks for sticking with us. After the interview, we are doing our regular segment of Miles and Points with Pints, where Derek and I talk to you and give you all of the updates that are happening this week in the travel sphere, in miles and points and hotels and airlines and travel and credit cards, all that good stuff. And Derek, what do you say we get started with credit cards like we always do? Let's do it. And uh, before we begin, let's remind our listeners, we thank you for your feedback. We've heard a lot of feedback that you're really enjoying these weekly segments. Continue to give us that feedback and let us know if it's relevant to you. As always, Jeff, we start in the miles and points with pints segment with Chase. Uh, we, we are now solidly into quarter two, and Chase is sending out some targeted, somewhat, uh, somewhat widespread spending offers on various credit cards. Uh, they were originally available for a lot of people on the Chase My Bonus website, but as of this week, emails are going out. Seems fairly widespread. It's usually 5x spend on up to $1,500 on a bunch of co branded credit cards the Chase Ritz and Bonvoy cards. A lot of those have 5x on up to $1,500 spend at grocery, gas, and home improvement. The Hyatt United cards, some Southwest cards I've seen, uh, and various others have 5X on grocery, gas, home improvement, and uh, even some offers of spend on anything. I also saw a 5X offer. Uh, Actually, Sarah got it. 5X on her IHG card on any spend in quarter two up to $1,500. So a lot of... um, Somewhat targeted, somewhat widespread emails going out this week. 5X on any spend or some targeted spend, as we mentioned, grocery, gas, home improvement up to $1,500. Jeff, while currencies are more valuable than others, certainly URs and MRs are much more valuable than IHG or Hilton, 5X on you know, earn is always a good thing and, and worthy of your attention uh, if you have enough of a Uh, spend to go around. Yeah, and this is something we, it seems to be a a little bit of the same game that Chase was playing in the last quarter and they've been doing for a while now, 
where they're just doing a, a blanket offer for all of their co-branded cards, paying no attention to whose points are worth more. Except this time I see, so I got four emails this morning, and that was on my Ritz card, my Bonvoy card, my Hyatt card, my United card. And out of those, the points that I found most valuable would be Hyatt and United, and those were the cards that got the spend on anything. And the other ones, the Ritz and the Bonvoy, were limited to the grocery, gas, and home improvement. So I'm not sure what the the thinking is there, that they're... I, I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm glad they're giving me more options for that. But also, it was funny, the emails looked exactly the same, so they didn't change anything. And then below the gas, grocery, and home improvement, it just said, and everything else. So if you didn't <laughs> read through it, you wouldn't even notice that. But it was, I mean, they couldn't even be bothered to change the format of the email. They just were like, oh, we'll just tag this on here and make it, uh, and everything else. Sneaky. Very sneaky, right? I mean, and for our listeners that are new to credit card rewards, it's very it, it's very important to learn the different values for currencies. As Jeff mentions, he he personally values Hyatt United over those other offers. A point is not always equal to other points, and um, you may not have your own personal valuations yet, but. Suffice it to say that when Jeff and I are talking about earning up to 7,500 Hyatt points, that's enough for one and a half Category 1 hotels. Your Category 1s are typically your Hyatt place and Hyatt houses near airports and things like that or in cheaper, you know, secondary cities. But, I mean, you can easily get 100 to $150 value for 5,000 points. So you're talking about, Jeff, wouldn't you say, maybe upwards of $200 in value for those bonus points on 1500 spend. That's a that's a pretty good targeted offer. It is. And that's, I mean, when we talk about the difference in value and points, if you're looking at the, the Ritz or the Bonvoy points, which all turn into the those Marriott Bonvoy points, 7,500 points with them, there's no way that's getting you in a night and a half at a hotel. So it's, I mean, it's significantly lower valued points. You got to watch where you're doing your spending, but at 5x, it may be something where you hit the spend on all of them if you have that amount of spend to do. Speaking of points values, I want to switch over and talk about Amex because their membership rewards points are something that I personally value pretty highly. Most people do as one of those transferable currencies. And our friend uh, Spencer over at Straight to the Points uh, shot some information out this morning on his Instagram and a couple other places and alerted us that. Amex has once again increased the referral offer bonuses for both the business platinum and business gold cards. And we're getting to the point where it's it's almost getting silly now. I'm excited it's, about it. It's laughable. It really it is. is. So they're up now. If you, You're almost afraid to get an offer because the week later they're going to increase it again. But the referral offer now for the Platinum card, the Business Platinum card, is 130,000 points after that same $15,000 in spend in three months. And then for the Business Gold card, it's 85,000 points after 10,000 spend in three months. So these are decently high spends, but they are business cards. They're designed to put your business spending on, so they expect you're going to be able to spend a decent amount of money. There are other ways to create that spend if you need to that people can learn about and know about but you if you can do that spending this is just a ton of points plus these are referral offers so you're still getting that 10 15 20 or 30,000 points the person who's referring is getting those points too it's just an amazing offer we thought it was an amazing offer with the lower bonuses and now they just keep upping it yeah and 
Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe for the business platinum offer here, 130000 for fifteen k, the only previous offer we've ever seen higher than this was maybe a 150000 offer a few years ago, which wasn't widely available, and it included a $20,000 spend. So referral offers from your friends, family, um, or your favorite blogger or podcast host – being available to you at 130000 for fifteen k, I think it's fair to say that's the best ever offer that I've seen, at least widely available. Especially because you add in that referral bonus. The 150 if I remember right, was a, a targeted mail offer or maybe was available to a few people online, but not definitely not highly available like this is. Yeah, it's and and again, by the same token, the gold at eighty five. Yes, we have seen super targeted offers. I believe as high as ninety. This is the highest ever widely available referral offer. And again, if you compare it with a P two referral, player two referral, and get up to thirty thousand on that referral, you're talking about you know one hundred fifteen k plus the spend points for one referral and one card opening. Just absolutely unbelievable. I would love to say these offers will continue to increase as we've seen them uh, do in the last two, three, four months. But my gosh, Jeff, I don't know how much higher they can go. I mean, they're already paying us to open these cards. It's a beautiful spring to earn some points, and people should get out there and do it while they can because it's not going to last forever. And with that good news of the increased bonuses from American Express comes some... It's, it's still a rumor at this point, but they're usually pretty reliable Doctor of Credit put out the put out some information from a, a commenter who claims to work for American Express on some changes coming to the personal platinum card over the next few months and actually into into a couple of years. Yeah, so the the rumors again reported by Doctor of Credit, who has a great track record for this sort of thing. The rumor changes are that the annual fee will go up. Uh, from the current $550 per year to $695 starting in July 2021. That card will now include $300 per year for Equinox. I believe that's gym equipment uh, credit. It will include a $240 a year entertainment credit broken down as $20 per month. You will get a $200 credit through the MX Travel Portal for prepaid hotel bookings. You will get a $100 temporary resi credit, and they apparently are going to change the TSA pre uh, benefit you currently have on the MX Platinum card to a clear membership, uh, which can be worth, I believe, Jeff, up to about $130 unless you have a discount of some kind. Um, And then there's also going to be some changes to Centurion Lounge access. That news broke last night. You want to go over that, Jeff? And then we can give our thoughts on the Platinum in general. Sure. The Centurion Lounge access has always been a problem for American Express. The lounges are some of the best lounges at the airport, some of the best food at the airport, and people love them. But the problem is so many people have these cards and they are allowing so many guests in that the lounges quickly became overcrowded. And they stepped back. It used to be, I forget how many guests you could get. Was it three or four? Or maybe it was unlimited at one point. But they stepped back a couple of years ago to each cardholder being able to bring in two guests. And now what they're saying is, or, well, I guess they haven't technically said it. It's still a rumor. But they 
are going to be charging $50 per guest for Centurion Lounge access for, and that's for platinum card holders and authorized user card holders. The way to get around that is if you have spent $75,000 on the card in the previous calendar year. So again, Amex rewarding those high spenders, encouraging spend on their cards, but I've seen some people react kind of harshly to this. I, it's not something I'm thrilled about because even with the the two guest rule, if Chrissy and I both held a platinum card, we could get our family of four in. But now with them taking over, taking all guests, we'll be able to go in if we're traveling together, but not if we have the kids with us. So maybe it's actually not that bad as I'm shipping one off to college. And maybe once the other one goes to college, then I, I won't mind so much. But it, it's a it's a tough thing to take for people who travel in groups. And I saw one person say, if I'm paying $695 annual fee for a credit card and they aren't even going to let me take my wife into the lounge with me when I travel, that's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. And I can see where that person is coming from. So very passionate people on both sides of that issue. But it's also should be noted that that is not starting until February of 2023, which is still almost two years away. So who knows what changes they're going to make by then, if they're actually going to enact this, if they push it off, if it will really happen. It's a long time out. So let me give you my thoughts, Jeff, and then you can take a 30-second rebuttal period to just absolutely bash me, okay? So here comes unpopular opinion number one of the day from Derek, who can sometimes be a contrarian. Just ask my wife. The $695 annual fee, 100% not worth it once you are in year two. Any card, just about any card is worth any annual fee uh, that's currently on the market for the sign-up bonus and the year one benefits. I personally don't think, even with these changes at Equinox credit that almost no one will use, entertainment credit that people will forget to use, the the average person will not get $700 worth of value in year two and beyond from an Amex Platinum. However, the vast majority of Amex Platinum card holders, card holders will continue to hold the card just like they have uh, a lot of people for decades uh, despite the rising annual fees. And for the most of those people, which would take me into my second point, the vast majority of Amex Platinum cardholders have never been in a Centurion lounge. I think, and I posted some comments in Travel on Points last night when I um, shared the news that Centurion access was changing. Uh, I shared an unpopular opinion. One, I think uh, Centurion lounges are highly overrated. And two, I don't see this as much of a big deal for, for most people, uh, for the average Amex Platinum cardholder. To the first point, you touched on crowding. Centurion lounges are by far the most crowded lounges I've ever been in. And a lot, a lot of it has to do with the generous guesting policies. The food is excellent. The service is excellent. A lot of times you're sitting in a corner on the floor trying, trying to find a spot to eat that awesome food. Come on, really? Uh, some of these new lounges they're building are like quadruple the size of the old lounge. And they're going to, once COVID is behind us, they're already going to be uh, too small for the influx of people that are coming in. So I think to Amex is doing this for two reasons. One, reduce the people flowing into Centurion lounges. And two, and let's not forget, travel hackers are not the normal credit card customers. 
the bread and butter for Amex Platinum card holders are business travelers. And business travelers, overwhelmingly, at least pre-COVID, uh, let's see if business travel returns post-COVID, but business travels travelers overwhelmingly travel solo. So this will affect them um, very, very little. I will say that if you are upset by the um, increase, and I certainly get it, especially for families, as you touched on, Jeff, the easiest way to go about doing this would be to add three authorized users on your platinum for a hundred, uh, what is that? A hundred and ninety-five dollars per year, hundred and seventy-five. Hundred and seventy-five. Yeah, for three authorized user cards, you would then have four platinums to get four people into the lounge unlimited for that year, and you would each get your global entry credit uh, paid for every five years, which would apparently include uh, per doctor credit rumors um, the change to a clear membership in addition to the global entry. So there's my unpopular opinions, Jeff. Really curious to hear your take on on, uh, on my thoughts. So I don't disagree with everything you said. I don't, I don't actually disagree with much that you said. That $695 annual fee is tough to stomach. I think people like us and people who are travel hackers will be able to get the value out of it, but you're going to have to work at it. You're, you're going to have to remember to set the recurring payment for your streaming service. You're going to have to remember to go do a hotel booking. You, it, It's funny you hesitated over the Equinox credit before. And when I read that, I was like, I think that's a gym or something like that's. <laughs> I mean, they definitely missed the mark with us on that one because we don't even know what it is fully. But the other thing you mentioned, the clear, and we talked about the clear replacing TSA pre-check, they are planning to keep the global entry as a benefit, but replace TSA pre-check with clear. But if it's only once every five years, that clear membership is yearly, correct? That is right. Yeah. Good, good so, point. So, I mean, that's not going to be that useful. You'll get clear once every five years. I think they're, I'm not, I'll be interested to see how they adjust that benefit for that to fit in. As far as the lounges, I think it's, I'm not happy with the change. Again, it's two years out, so I'm not getting too upset over it. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad move for Amex because the lounges were overcrowded. This will effectively eliminate a lot of the kids getting into the lounge. So it will be better for business travelers and better for the the higher dollar spending customers they have who want a peaceful, quiet environment in the lounge. And I, as someone who travels with kids, I'm probably going to get some hate for saying that, but that's just the facts of it. And that's who Amex is trying to cater to with that. So for those of us who travel with kids, it's not great news for the people who don't travel with kids and don't want kids in their lounge. It's fantastic news. Yeah. And uh, that's a great point, Jeff. And I touched on this with a few readers and travel on points last night. When you, when you boil it down, this new policy is extremely non-family, non-kid friendly, right? We know Amex allows authorized users as young as 13. And then going backwards, kids two and younger are allowed into Centurion in the future even, after 2023, for free. But what Amex has done by its own rules is... Kids older than two and younger than 13 cannot come into the lounge without paying $50. And that, when you boil it down and you read the terms and conditions, that is, you know, blatantly anti-family for coming into the lounge. They're, they're prohibiting those, you know, two to 12-year-olds from coming in without paying a $50 fee. 
and they know their target audience and that's not their target audience. So, I mean, good on them for stepping up and doing what they need to do from a business perspective, but still sad for, for those people with small kids who want a nice relaxing place to have a meal, even if it is in the corner on the floor because the lounge is crowded. Yeah. A lot, a lot of disappointed families for sure. I get that. So we'll see what happens with those changes if all of those rumors come true. Like you said, they usually do when they come from Doctor of Credit, and we'll at least see most of those rolling out uh, sometime in the next few months, and some not till 2023. Let's move on to hotels, because there were a few big things happening in hotels this week. I'm going to hit on a little one first, and then we'll get into the two big ones. But Kimpton has announced a teacher appreciation rate, which is good through the end of August, and it's at limited hotels, but they have some fun benefits for teachers as kind of a thank you for making it through this tough year and everything that you've had to do with teaching from home and hybrid and all that good stuff. And they're offering up to 30% off, and they're adding in some fun benefits like a bottle of champagne or a basket of apples or something like that, just to say thank you to teachers if they get a chance to travel this summer. With my wife being a teacher and a lot of our friends being teachers, I think this is a wonderful thing, and thank you, Kempton, for doing that. Very good program, and it's very nice of them to think about teachers and their work schedules and make this the entire you know Memorial Day to Labor Day period uh, just about, so teachers in their summers off can take advantage of traveling to Kempton's. Kempton's. So I hope uh, you and Chrissy and a bunch of your friends can take advantage of that. That is the good news, Jeff. We also have yep. some bad news. Yep. And some I, weird news. Yeah. IHG. What the heck? Right? <laughs> we wake up overnight in the middle of a pandemic when when no one has been able to burn their points since they devalued the program last year, shortly after the pandemic began, and went to dynamic pricing. They decided to do a second no-notice devaluation overnight in the middle of a pandemic. Have I mentioned that? By devaluing their dynamic program by rough estimates, say about 33%. That just a you lost a third of the value of your points overnight after not being able to use them from the previous devaluation. What's your thoughts on that, Jeff? Every example I have seen of this, especially of the high-end hotels, the properties that people would really want to stay in if they're doing a, a nice, fancy vacation, have gone up significantly. And that's like 80,000 points went up to 100,000 points. 100,000 went up to 120,000 points. That's, I mean, that's 20 or 25% of the cost. That's a huge devaluation for those, especially if you need three, four, five, six nights at those places. So it was, it's not nice to see that happen if you have, especially if you have a bunch of IHG points. They weren't worth a ton before, but they're worth even less now. But the fact that they did it with no notice and just kind of tried to sneak it in there, I don't, it, they called it an enhancement, I believe, which is, I mean, we saw so much of that and companies just got brutal comments online for calling things enhancements and they're just saying they're trying to make it the best for their members and we all know it's just them trying to increase their bottom line and make their points less valuable so it's very frustrating to see that especially during a pandemic like you said they devalued there was a year where people couldn't travel and they were like nah, let's throw a little more devaluation in there before they can exactly and it's a good reminder as soon as you are able to travel you are you are comfortable traveling and you can travel safely burn points people 
They are not a retirement account. They are not a money market account. Those points will not increase in value. Every day you hold points, you are potentially losing value and you will lose value over time. Burn points as soon as you can. And the second devaluation of IHG during a pandemic is only further proof of that. Jeff, we also got some weird news from another hotel program this week. Why don't you walk us through that? Radisson decided that their loyalty program needs to be uh, split in half. Yes, and this was odd, really odd when you first read about it, and then when you get into it and understand why, it makes a little bit more sense, but still, it's I'm not sure it makes sense. So they sent out an email and they put out press releases that they are splitting their program in two. Basically, one program will be the Americas, so North America, South America, Caribbean, Central America, and then the rest of the world will be in the other program. And the email was kind of cryptic, but we've seen some more details come out. But they basically said you'll be a member of one program, and if you want to redeem or earn points in the other program, you'll have to go through some additional steps. And that makes little to no sense to someone who's just reading an email. But once you get into it and you start reading some of the analysis about it and people who have been able to ask some questions, you find out that this was done due to the fact that Radisson is uh, under Chinese ownership, which the U.S. believes is government controlled by the government of China. They don't want them to have access to all of the information from the loyalty accounts. So they are saying that Radisson has to split these to the split into these two programs so that U.S. citizens aren't forced to give all of their information to the Chinese government, which makes, I guess, a little bit of sense if you don't want your information going to the Chinese government. But once they split into two programs, if you want to redeem or earn in the other one, you have to go open an account there and give them all your information anyway. <laughs> yeah. And for any of us that have traveled to China and got a Chinese visa... They have all our information anyway, whether we yeah, like it or I not. I mean, I have right? a 10-year visa that's ticking away as we aren't able to travel here, but they have my information. They, right. I mean, if they own the company now and you split it out in June, they already have my information anyway. Right. So right. I'm not sure exactly what problem this is going to solve other than maybe a PR one, but that's what's going to happen they haven't said that if you have points in one program, basically you're, you will be put into the program depending on where you live. So if you live here in the U.S., you will be in the Americas program. If you sign up for the rest of the world program, and then you will be able to transfer your points between accounts if you want. If you have loyalty uh, status in the Americas program, you can contact Radisson and they will award you the same status in the rest of the world program. So it's kind of similar. Like they said, it's just a few more steps you have to go through. But it's just going to be kind of a pain when you want to uh, redeem things for a little while, I think, as people figure that out. I can say that when I read it, I was heartbroken because in my experience, Radisson properties in Europe and the rest of the world are significantly better than the ones here in the U.S., and my example of that is my trip this past week to Kansas City. We stayed at the Radisson Lenexa Overland Park, which is in the Kansas side of Kansas City, a little bit towards the south side of the city. And it was laughably bad. They 
the when we checked in the manager had no mask on they did have a shield up in front of the desk but the manager and one other employee had no mask on the other employee had a mask on so i'm not sure what the policy is there the entire time we were there no matter where the manager was behind the desk out in the lobby anywhere we never saw him with a mask masks were not enforced in any of the guests the pool area had signs up that said like four people in the hot tub and no more than eight people in the pool the one day we were there, there was a birthday party there with like 20 little kids running around. None of the parents had masks, nothing. So they just basically were completely ignoring all of Radisson's stated COVID policies. And we were glad that we were um, vaccinated and uh, I have had COVID, had antibodies. So that, but we still, I mean, we stayed in that hotel as little as humanly possible during our stay there. So another example of Radisson's in the U.S. not being so great. Maybe they were not. Maybe they were following the protocol from the Radisson program, not of the Americas. I don't just know. I assume they're just probably doing it right in the not of the Americas ones. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know. Yeah, Radisson yeah. causing problems, making things strange, and not a big fan of them at this point. Like, yeah, that just personally. the whole thing is bizarre, and I, like you said, I, I certainly understand the problem with sharing information with China, but I think they already have it uh, for the people that already have a Radisson account, so that doesn't make much sense. But I guess you know, from a points and miles perspective, I guess the biggest piece here is I'm really curious to see how the integration between the two programs works, and if it is a seamless redemption, points in one account wanting to redeem in the other. Uh, I'm hoping that's seamless, but you never know. That's our hotel update for the week. On to airlines. Uh, Speaking of bad, Delta had a lot of issues over Easter weekend. They had a lot of flights canceled due to pilot shortages. And that led to the surprising decision, uh, Jeff, really no announcement coming before it happened. Delta started filling those middle seats after promising to leave them open and letting people book flights with those middle seats open. Delta started filling the middle seats and flying full planes to make up for the canceled flights. They got a lot of blowback online, a lot of a lot of heated debate online. Not really a good look for I think the airline program that's done the best to keep um, consumers happy during the pandemic. And I don't know that they had a good option there. They either would have stranded a lot of people and left them, or they fill those middle seats. And they, someone somewhere made the decision to get people where they wanted to go and take the heat for it. So not, not good, but I don't know what they could have done. I mean, obviously, if they knew all those flights were going to be there and they knew the number of pilots they had, maybe they shouldn't have scheduled that many flights. But um, at that point, not, there was no good choice for them to make. And I do know that uh, Rick Foytick a moderator in Travel on Points. He's very in tune with the Delta program. He indicated uh, in a private chat with the top team that uh, apparently Delta's pilots, maybe their flight attendants also, their vacation resets on 4-1. And a lot of people uh, suddenly, once they have vacation days, they take time off, especially on Easter weekend, the more senior pilots. So his his thoughts were that that may have led to a, a larger pilot shortage than normal. They suddenly had uh, their new time off for 2021 it coincided with an easter weekend holiday weekend and a lot of people took time off who knows pure conjecture but it made for a very very problematic weekend on a holiday 
and again, even if that is the case, not something that should have been a surprise to Delta. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. A couple other quick things from airlines. Don't know that we really need to talk much about them, but uh, Lufthansa has canceled a few routes again to the U.S., which will lead to there being no first class on U.S. routes until at least June 2021 which isn't too far away, just a couple of months, but we don't know when they're going to keep extending this. A lot of people love that Lufthansa first class. Uh, For now, you're going to have to find it somewhere else, not from the U.S. But again, we can't really go to Europe right now, so not a huge deal. The last thing, American Airlines, uh, obviously not one of my favorites. I'm not one of their favorites, but (laughs) got to mention it. They are giving away, um, they're doing an instant win game where you can go online to celebrate 40 years of the Advantage program. I didn't quite make it to year 40, but they, they're giving away to some people decent prizes, to some people terrible prizes. I've seen people win 40 points, which is laughably ridiculous, and I don't know why you would even bother. But I have seen, I saw someone win 4,000 points. Uh, I saw a couple other little prizes We'll see. I mean, it's worth it. I'll probably go on and do it for my wife and my kids who still have accounts and see what we can get them. But uh, nothing huge coming from that promo from American. Today's trivia question, Jeff. I have received, actually, Sarah and I have received the same, fewer, or more American Airlines points from this promo than you have, even though you don't have an AA account anymore. The same. The same. Zero. We've spun that wheel like 15 times combined in the last four days. Nothing. Couldn't you at least reward us with like 40 points once? No, apparently not. They probably know that you're hanging out with me, so they're giving you nothing. I'm sorry. They're like, Derek, we haven't shut shut your account yet. Just stop spinning the wheel. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. So in travel news, a couple quick things before we go. Norwegian Cruise Lines this week announced that they will require vaccines for all passengers and crew on their boats, which is not shocking. We had talked about we expect especially cruises to do this and some other places to do this. I wouldn't be surprised to see some hotels or some countries saying that they require the vaccines and it's going to upset people who don't want to get the vaccines or who can't get the vaccines. But it's something we're going to see a lot of. And Norwegian was one of the first ones to step up and say, yes, this is what we're doing. So it may make people feel safer. It probably will be safer on their boats. Cruising maybe still not the safest thing to do at this point, um, even if you are vaccinated. But we'll see how it goes. In other vaccine news, I got my first vaccine yesterday, which I guess when this airs will be two days ago. And I couldn't be more excited. I have a little bit of a sore arm, but I am excited for two reasons. One, it's only going to be a few more weeks until I get the second one. And then a couple weeks after that, I will be fully vaccinated. But two, Sam Adams has announced that they are offering a $7 reward if you upload proof of your vaccine. So that is some free beer or at least money for beer that I am hoping to get when that promo launches on the 12th of April. So you got paid to get a vaccine. Paid in beer. That's about as good as it gets. We all could. We'll put the link in the show notes and Very everyone nice. can go and Very claim nice. their $7. I, th- I think not everybody gets it, It's but they're giving out like 10000 or something. I don't know how many people are actually going to do it. But you don't, I should point out, you don't have to upload your vaccine card. You can do this via email or via social media. 
but it can be a picture of your sticker. It can be a picture of the bandage on your arm. It can be all sorts of different things. So it's a little bit of beer money for our uh, Miles and Pints listeners if you're getting vaccinated. Well, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, I get my second shot just a few hours after this episode goes live on Friday. So I will upload that, maybe get some free Sam Adams for the weekend. And with that, we've gone a little long with our updates this week. So thanks for sticking around with us. And we hope you're enjoying the show. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Favio as we did talking to him. Favio is probably the perfect guest for the first of our three Loudoun County breweries that we will be highlighting over the next several months. He's had his hand in a lot of amazing beers coming out of this part of Virginia for many years, and we're sure he will for many more years to come. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Loudoun and the Loco Ale Trail, for helping us to get this episode out to you. If you want to try the beers that Favio and the team at Dynasty Brewing are creating, you'll need to make your way to one of the two Dynasty Brewing locations in Loudoun County, Virginia. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of the new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. journey it will be great.